mailing a letter isn't too complicated on my end. Um, I'll admit that the post office has a lot of complicated systems, but if I pay for the postage and I get the address right, it'll get there eventually. Uh, on the receiving end, it's simple as well. I look over the mail over a recycling bin, <laughs> ready to toss and simplify my life even more. And who the letter is from makes a huge difference in what even gets opened, right? And then there's the decision over mail that's been sent to you, but it's to a previous resident. Is it worth the time to return it to the sender? Even after all of this, we we have to make the decision to open and read and respond to the mail that comes. And the first letter of Peter is sent to a general address over a wide region. But we know it was received and responded to, even copied, because the church has used it for general encouragement all over the world for almost 2,000 years. So I really hope that this letter gets delivered to Issaquah over the next few months and that it is read and responded to. And we're just going to look at the first two verses of it today. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, sending it to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that's a mouthful, isn't it? The dispersion is, is the dispersed people of God over the world. Another way to say this is Peter, a commissioned agent of Jesus the Messiah, to God's chosen ones who live as foreigners among the dispersion in these cities, who have been set aside in advance by God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus the Messiah. May grace and peace be poured out lavishly on you. That's what I hope for today, that it would be poured out. Um, but I've declared my desire to have this letter read and responded to, but do we need this letter? Well, it's in the Bible, Pastor Aaron, so we need it. Well, yes, but it, but in the U.S., this has actually not been among the popular epistles or letters for preachers, except for some quotations and sermons, some out of context, but uh, and a few verses on coffee mugs. This letter from Peter hasn't been delivered to current American Christians. Some American theologians even struggle in their commentaries, this is over the last century, to find a connection because there just hasn't been, well, much suffering for the name of Jesus, which is a major theme of this letter. So we're going to assume that the letter found its people and that it addresses their issues. And we're going to see in Peter's letter Seven distinct problems in Christian communities. Now, I want you to ask yourself, is this, is this for me? The first one would be psychological and physical pressure. The second, social ostracism and exclusion. Three, a potential pull from the pagan way of life. There's a, there's a pressure, a pull coming to go back to the way of, of life. 
Number four, a surrounding, seductive, non-Christian worldview. Does that make sense? Like all around them and us, yes. A seductive worldview. Well, it actually kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. That's a way to view the world. Number five, tensions and inconsistent behavior within the fellowship. You ever seen a church struggle amongst its members? Number six, spiritual doubts about the reliability of God's promises and the future. And number seven, Satan's constant deadly temptations and trials. I think for the most part, this letter is not far from our doorstep, is it? We need this. And around the world, the letters of Peter are actually a favorite because so many followers experience the, the pressures, the, the estrangement, the shame, the suffering of being a minority. And are, aren't we feeling a little more of the marginalization, the blank stares, the, the curious whispers about our strange beliefs? Aren't you sensing like a distrust because our allegiance to Jesus doesn't seem to fit with, uh, with our allegiance to our society and its influencers? One, one theologian, Karen Jobes, has taught me a lot about the scholarship and the setting of, of 1 Peter. She wrote this, When one's Christian faith is criticized and even mocked, it's natural that one may begin to doubt the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is, after all, extraordinary to believe that the body of a dead man was raised to some kind of new eternal state of being. Ancient people, no less than modern, might understandably find that claim outrageous. Right? She goes on, Criticism and slander because of one's faith also force the issue of how someone is going to respond to such unjust treatment. And people disagree on how we're supposed to push back or receive or what, what goes on. Now, I, I just need to do a really quick reality check. In Nigeria, the most dangerous place to be a Christian, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, Christians are being killed systematically. The streets of Mozambique hold a horror show. So let's not over-dramatize our situation here. Oh, I'm being persecuted. But, but we are certainly seeing a shift in attitude toward Christians, aren't we? So if, if you've ever felt like an outsider because of Jesus, this letter may be for you. Okay, many of you have traveled out of your language capacity before, right? Out of your comfort zone, any of you? Um, some of you right now are feeling that because you've traveled here. Welcome, welcome. But my <laughs> size and skin color give me away when I'm traveling in, let's say, Africa or Latin America. In the highlands of Guatemala, in the city of Totonicapan, um, where it seems the, the altitude keeps people really, really short. I'm, I'm probably in their medical journals as an example of gigantism. Even my wife, Heather, was comparatively tall, right? But when you're, when you're out of that comfort zone, what, what do you do? The, the shift from comfort to discomfort, from local to foreigner, from 
trusted to suspected, from honored to dishonored, requires a shift in perspective. And Simon Peter is making sure that these provinces get the encouragement. So who received this letter? Well, it's important in biblical interpretation to, to know this. These biblical letters were not written to you, but they were written for you. Okay, they were written to these chosen people who were living as foreigners without the comfort of being an honored citizen in the city where they lived. But this letter is for us who feel like foreigners in the colonies that King Jesus is making here on earth. Kingdom as in heaven on earth, right? So this letter is addressed to God's chosen ones who live as foreigners among the dispersion. Um, that's, a, that's a Greek term, the diaspora, the dispersion, those the, the, the Jewish people that were spread throughout the world because of all sorts of um, political things. Uh, live as foreigners among the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. He's this region in what is modern-day Turkey. So one difference about this letter is that, that most of the letters we read in the New Testament were written to a church in a city. This is to five regions, provinces that make up about the size of California. And most of the letters we read in the New Testament name a few of the individuals, but here it's just Peter writing with his companions and sending it. Most of the letters establish the personal relationship. Hey, remember when we did this and we had this time together? And But this, is, this just comes from Peter, a commissioned agent of Jesus Christ to a dispersed population that's hard to locate. But the letter would have been carried by Silas, it seems in the letter, on a circuit throughout these provinces, reading them, delivering them, and then allowing the fellowships um, to make copies of the letter. They, these may not even have been full-fledged churches with, with a bunch of uh, order and, and leadership. They, they could just be a, a group of people gathered together. These Christians may have been ejected from Rome where Peter had been preaching and leading. And this would explain the rather interesting question. Why is Peter writing to these people? <laughs> How does he know them? He hasn't traveled there. Well, we know there were various Roman decrees that sent Jewish people to the outskirts, to the Roman colonies, which were by definition the, the extreme edge of the Roman world. Now, I've used the word colony twice, so I, I want to explain it. Um, at the edges of a new empire the ground is being taken, right? But it needs to be secured. So in these colonies, you would experience the look and feel of the kingdom. This is, a, this is an outpost of the kingdom. Now in this region we're discussing, we would find cities that wanted to make a Roman feel at home, right? It's like a little Rome. They would often be at the leading edge of imperial worship. That's worshiping the emperor, Caesar, as Lord, as divine. Now, the other way we use this word is that, that we as followers of Jesus are praying for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> that puts us at the frontier edge, doesn't it? We're right at the edge of what God is doing to expand his kingdom. So we are colonizing earth. 
So when people come into contact with the church in any given city, they're supposed to experience a taste of the kingdom. Little colonies or cities on a hill where King Jesus would feel at home as we look and feel and smell and taste like the kingdom shining the light of Jesus like a beacon, right? That's the vision. That's who we are. Now, Roman colonies would be full of retired military, the kind of gruff, battle-hardened people you wouldn't want really milling around the actual city of Rome, threatening to take over estates of senators and elites, right? So they would be given large land grants, taken from the locals, of course, uh, to move out to these colonies at the edges. Now, other people who were causing trouble would, would be expelled as well and would probably move out to these outskirts. Um, ejected from Rome... Jews and those who believed in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, would be sent packing to the outskirts of the empire. But without the honor shown to true citizens, right? They would be strangers, aliens, foreigners. They would be taxed heavily. And, and their allegiance to Jesus as emperor, <laughs> as Lord, as divine, as the Son of God, would put them at odds in these highly patriotic and religious communities. Okay, are you sensing the pressure, the location? Now, Peter's writing to encourage them, and this may encourage you as well if you're feeling like you're on the outside of society. Peter, Peter might say it like this, they call you foreigners, but we call you family. They call you foreigners. You're not from around here, are you? Well, no, I'm not from here, <laughs> but I do live here. We call you family. So God the Father sees these scattered groups of people among the natives, and he knows your pain. Peter wants him to know he foresaw that you would be here and that he knows you, and he's prepared you for this. They dishonor you, but you have the honor that really matters. Karen Jobes says that Peter explains to these socially alienated Christians that although they may be rejected in the eyes of their society because of their commitment to Christ, and perhaps doubly so if, if that was the cause of their expulsion from Rome, they are in fact chosen by God and fully entitled to the promise and inheritance of the kingdom. Their disadvantaged social status does not ultimately matter. Having been chosen by God, they're participants in a new birth that brings them into a new family and consequently bestows a new citizenship that is privileged beyond anything Rome or its provinces can offer. We've looked at this before, but the, but the glory of Rome is like the, the grass and the flower of the field which fade and fall. Karen Job says, the word of God, though, is, which has germinated within them because of their faith in Christ, stands forever. One need only look at the ruins in Rome today and the vitality of the Christian church throughout the world to see this truth in historical perspective. Yeah, the church is growing in Nigeria. In the, one of the toughest persecuted places, Iran, it's growing Leaps and bounds, right? So let's look at this four-part theological description of those people, who they are, who they are now, how they are honored now as we close this out. So this is the letter from Peter sent by King Jesus to speak to you 
who have been set aside in advance by God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus the Messiah. Let's just let's just go through it. One, elect, chosen, set aside in advance. These are the, the elect ones. They're set aside in advance at the at the initiative of God the Father to receive grace and peace and purpose. So grace we receive in place of our rebellion. Peace with God and purpose in the kingdom. This is what we receive. And oddly, this election makes us foreigners immediately. Because we're not colonists of Rome or America or Scotland or India, but we're colonists of the kingdom of heaven, bringing his rule and his reign to bear in our hearts and in our lives together, spilling over into the community, right? Because we live here, but we are not from here. In a new sense, we've now changed our citizenship. We live here, but we're not from here. We've been set aside in advance by God the Father through, number two, the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, there are three aspects in the timeline of sanctification that help define it, too. Uh, first, it's the initial separation from sin. So sanctification is a, is a separation. And then it's the hard work of growing in holiness throughout life, becoming more and more living up to that character that God has given to us. And then the final act is when God makes his holy people completely holy for eternity so that sin cannot encroach again. But here Peter's talking about the first stage, the, the Holy Spirit setting aside people for his purposes. So we've been set aside in advance by God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. Number three, for obedience. Jesus, we're told, even learned obedience by what he suffered. He obeyed as the true human representative because you and I couldn't and didn't. But we are called to obedience. We don't just stop there. Now, it's totally true that Jesus is our substitute and that his life was given for you. He, he substitutes his life for you. His blood, the pure blood, sinless, goes into the presence of a pure and holy God where you could not go. He represents you. We believe that his pure life stands in for your life and that his lifeblood purifies us to be sacred space, temple space, where God can bring his presence. That's number four, for sprinkling. Sprinkling is priestly language in the category of blood manipulation. To make an object or a subject purified for sacred use. So, substitution means that you have life that is truly life, but not that he lives it for you. His obedience brings us life, and through our obedience, he lives out his purposes. His kingdom come, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. His obedience is our pattern, our strength, our motivation, and by the Holy Spirit, our reality. These two things are combined, obedience and sprinkling. Obedience and sprinkling of blood also established the first covenant, 
That's Old Testament Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 24. And it's the same now. Tom Wright sums it up for us. This is God's purpose, to set people aside, that's you and me, from other uses so that they can be signposts to this new reality, this new world. This new world has, in fact, already come into being through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. Through that sacrificial death on the one hand and the indwelling of God's Spirit on the other hand, God has set people apart to be living signals of this new world, right? We're the kingdom outposts like we talked about. They are therefore to be holy in the technical sense that God has set them apart for the purpose and in the practical sense that their lives have been transformed. The way that that we behave now reflects God's desire for human creatures. And that, however daunting and unlikely it seems, is who we are as Christians. So in, in a sense, then, we are receiving this letter as well. It wasn't written to us, it was written for us, but, but that is who we are. So as you receive this letter today, may the grace and peace of God that called you out of enmity and to his side be multiplied and increase all the more in your life as you live in this city as colonists from heaven in this kingdom outpost as family.